everyone, and welcome to the seventh episode of Phoenix Feather Fantasy Book Reviews, brought to you by JustAnotherStrugglingWriter.com. My name is Carrie Scher, and I am Just Another Struggling Writer. Um, I'm going to apologize in advance. Um, I'm a little bit under the weather, if you couldn't already tell. Just the fun part of the year where my allergies go on the fritz and give me a little bit of a head cold. My allergies primarily manifest as sneezing, so I'm probably going to do that a lot as we go through this, but I'm going to try and tough it out for you guys. I mentioned last week that I was going to be reviewing 11th Cycle by Kean and Ardalan this week, and that turned out to be a little bit of a lie. That book is 800 pages, and I had a lot going on this week, not just with getting sick, but also some major uh, changes coming at my day job, which affect me a great deal, and also just some mental health hiccups. So reading wasn't a huge priority for me this week, and as a result, I fell behind on this big fat ass book that I was trying to read. So on Friday, I decided to set it down for the moment and pick up something a little bit easier, something I could get through in just the weekend, so that I would have something to talk about for you guys today. That book is The Order of Sharon by R.K. Lander. It's a brand new entry in her setting about elves and elven worlds and stuff. Uh, It just came out last month. I didn't know that it was part of a larger setting um, and that there were other books in this setting before this one. Once again, my penchant to not research the books I'm reading bites me in the ass because I feel like there wasn't... This book was noticeably lacking a lot of context and a lot of lore details. So we'll just get straight into it. Here we go with the review of Order of Sharon by R.K. Lander. As always, we start with a synopsis. All things die, even elves, but immortality comes at a price. Leave everything behind, everything except memories. In a new world where magic is no longer myth, Feldar is brought back to life by the hands of the Domini, those who guide elven spirits on their journeys through the elven worlds. In death, Feldar accepted to serve the gods as a Sharon warrior, but his path towards the Order is stunted by the memory of his own tragic death and what he was forced to do. Meanwhile, war rages against the revenant demigod Arzen, possessor of immortal souls, usurper of elven realms. With an army of undying mortals, It is only a matter of time before the source to the third world is breached, leaving the elves of Nazaran isolated and alone. The Sharon commanders will break the rules of the Domini Code in the hopes that Feldar is the one who can turn the tides of the war. But as his memories return, anger consumes him. Can he win the battle in his mind? Remember who he is, what he is, and find a way to stop Arzen, and his revenant army from annihilating elvendom. Yeah, so like I said, this book is not a brand new story. It is actually the continuation of a story of one character across multiple other books, and the synopsis doesn't give you any indication of that, and I think that's mistake number one, because I went into this completely blind and had no fucking idea what any of these people were fucking talking about. My comments and thoughts on this are going to reflect that. 
yes, perhaps I should have done a little bit more research. But also, if you're going to say it's a new high fantasy, you should not rely on world building of previous books to tell the story. And in that regard, I'm not going to be very nice. This book was not good. So we follow the story of a man, an elf, who has just died in the first world of the elves. And I guess in this setting, when elves die in the first world, they can be reborn in the second world. And then there's a third world later, I guess. I don't know. But we focus our our time on the second world. He's just died. And he has to go through this process to recover his memories of his previous life before he can kind of move on with his new life. And that is a big old problem because his the end of his life was pretty traumatic. However, the powers that be can't wait for him to recover his memories naturally because he is some kind of super magic boy and they really need his help right the fuck now. So they can't wait for the natural order of things to progress. They have to press gang him into service pretty darn quick. And so that means that every single page of this 360 some odd page book is dedicated to getting this man back on his feet. And I think that if you've been following his story from the beginning, I am sure this was a really emotional and meaningful entry in the series. But as someone who is coming in blind and apparently right in the middle, this book made no fucking sense. It kind of reminded me of how, if you know anything about Dragon Ball and Dragon Ball Z, Dragon Ball obviously came out first in Japan, and Dragon Ball Z was actually introduced first in America. So American fans of the series are more familiar with the storyline of Dragon Ball Z and got to watch Gohan grow up and come into his own through that series, whereas the fans in Japan started with Goku. And so when in Dragon Ball Z, the focus of the story became more about Gohan, that kind of chafed at them because they were more familiar with Goku. That's how this felt. I couldn't figure out why everyone was so up this dude's ass. We only meet one single character in this entire book that doesn't really care about this guy. And that is only because he is just super ambitious and he sees this guy as a someone getting in the way of his ambition. And so he's kind of a dick. But that is it. Literally everyone else is completely dedicated to like waiting on this man's hand and foot and getting him to a point where he can rejoin the war and get his magic back and get his memories and all this stuff. And honestly, it was so boring. I mean, I don't even feel like I need a spoiler section today because literally nothing happens. And I imagine this is all really interesting and satisfying and like an emotional gut punch for people who've been following the character, but I haven't. And I'm really kind of pissed about being misled by the synopsis. Literally, if you pull up the synopsis on Goodreads, it says Elven Worlds Book One, a new high fantasy adventure. Well, I mean, first of all, it's not a fucking adventure, okay? It's just a bunch of people walking around making doe eyes at this dude because he's some sort of hero, and it's definitely not new. I mean, I can't even tell you anything about the plot because there is none. It's literally just following this guy around, waiting for him to remember, and coddling him a lot. So because I have nothing of substance to say about the plot, because the plot itself had no substance, I'm going to focus most of my critique on the writing itself. 
And I want to preface this by saying I have all the respect in the world for indie writers, for people who self-publish their books, because I'll tell you what, when I first started taking writing seriously, I looked into indie publishing because it seemed like the best way to finally get my stories out into the world. However, I soon learned and very, very quickly learned that indie publishing takes so much fucking work, not just work, but just like energy and resources and gumption and and everything that I know I personally don't have. That's why I am le- I'm not leaning like if I ever finish a fucking book, I know I'm going to take it to agents and try and get it traditionally published because I know I don't have the know-how or the energy or the time or even like the guts to self-publish. However, it is my opinion that when you are self-publishing, you have got to have an independent editor look at your work. I'm not talking about a friend. I'm not talking about your beta readers. I'm talking about someone who has experience as an editor, preferably paid, but I know that's not always an option for indie publisher or for indie writers, but someone experienced in the editing process. I don't think this book was independently edited. The biggest issue with this author's style for me was the POV narration. I think this was supposed to be omniscient narration because we never stayed in one character's head and we were constantly flipping from one character's observations to the next in a scene. So I'm pretty sure this is supposed to be omniscient. However, there were times where the omniscient narrator conveniently didn't know things for the sake of, I guess, giving us some hint as to one character's perspective. And that to me didn't make sense. Either commit to the bit of being omniscient or stay in third person close. And this didn't. This tried to play both sides and it was really annoying. I mean, I don't like omniscient narrators to begin with. I uh, said on my blog this last week when I was uh, doing a DNF review of another indie book that I tried and failed to read this month that, in my opinion, the best kind of storytelling is about keeping secrets and withholding information from the reader until it becomes necessary. And that way it maintains tension and packs more of a punch when it does come out or when, when that information is finally ready to come out. And omniscient narrators by their nature are just so freely giving of information that it really saps any sort of suspense or tension from the story. And this was really bad about that. It gave us a lot of scenes that were just completely unnecessary, things that we would have learned later anyway as part of the natural flow of the story, but it just felt the need to give us this information earlier from a different perspective from characters that weren't necessarily tied to the main part of the story. Imagine that the reason the author felt like doing this is because the other books feature these other characters and she wanted to keep them involved, I guess. But it did not make for an enjoyable read in the slightest. I ended up skimming a lot of this, especially as I got towards the end, because as I realized that nothing was going to happen, I was just like, why do I need to know any of this? How is this going to end? You know, just like it just there was like I said, there was no suspense whatsoever. And because there was so little information about the setting given, I felt really lost anyway. So I just kind of started reading only the dialogue because other everything else just felt superfluous. The author also has specific writing crutches that I feel like an independent narrator would have really helped with. 
For example, she really likes the word incipient, which to me is a word that kind of stands out on the page. It's not something you read, you know, every day. And she used it several times throughout the book. And every time it came up, I was just like, again, like, why do you need to, there, there are other ways to describe what you're trying to describe. Why do you have to use this very specific kind of eye catching word? Um, she also liked to have her characters cock their heads and there was never any variation of that terminology. Never said tilt, never said tip, never says can't. It's always cocked their heads. Um, She also describes the characters raising their eyebrows a lot. That did have a little bit more variation, but it did get kind of tedious. Like really, there's no other way to describe surprise or confusion or any, any way else. It's you have to have them lifting their eyebrows. Something else I really hated was that she would not tag dialogue very well. And I mean, I know sometimes like in writing advice, it is really common to see people say, hey, you don't have to tag every line of dialogue, especially if it's a conversation between two people. And that's fair. But I feel like this author took it to the extreme. And it was often, often, often in a scene where I had no idea who was speaking. Um, Right at the very end, it kind of solidified for me when the main character is in alone in a room and someone knocks on the door and he thinks to himself, I bet it's this person. And then there is one line of dialogue with no dialogue tag. And we are led to believe it is this person that he was assuming. However, he then, the next line says he is addressing a third character. So it wasn't that first person he thought was coming in, coming in. It was this other person. It's just like, why didn't you just say that in the dialogue tag? Why? I, I mean, and I know that seems like really nitpicky and like not that bad, but taken as a whole especially with this book, which had a lot of characters and a lot of scenes where there were multiple characters. It just like, it would have helped ground me and and just felt like unnecessarily vague. There were also times where she would repeat the exact same phrase multiple times on the page. I'm looking through my notes here and one is acutely arched eyebrows twice on the same page and verbatim, acutely arched eyebrows. And then a second time, there was a perpetual frown used verbatim on the same page. There was also a lot of kind of modern speech. Um, at one point, the term a team player is used, and that kind of stuck out to me. And a couple of characters a couple of times used the phrase, here's the thing. And that felt kind of anachronistic. And I know that typos happen in any book, and that even the most studious editor and the most studious proofreader can't catch everything. No one is 100% perfect 100% of the time. But I have to say, I laughed out loud when on page 45, one character used the term ill-bred, but bread was spelled B-R-E-A-D, like a loaf of bread. And I could not stop laughing. I had to get up and show it to my partner, who is a connoisseur of all things grain. And uh, I just thought he would get a kick out of that. And so we just laughed about the sick bread of the story. But that just goes back to my point of, I don't think this was independently edited, certainly not professionally edited, because those are the kinds of things that would have been caught by having an extra set of eyes who weren't already invested in the story, who hadn't seen the sentences repeatedly. Those are the kinds of things that would have been caught. So while it probably seems I'm being really, really mean and really, really needlessly nitpicky, especially for someone who is independently published, who worked really hard on this and has definitely earned more money and gotten 
and done more work for their writing careers than someone like I have, I am of the opinion that if you are going to put a piece of art out into the world to be consumed, you have to be ready for the critique that comes with it, especially when there are really, really basic fixable errors in the finished product like this. So I guess this is less a review and more of a public plea for anyone who is undertaking a self-publishing journey to please, 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 please consider having someone unconnected with your work put eyes on it and read the manuscript and, and take real care to look out for things like misspellings and typos and repeated use of words and crutch phrases, things like of that nature, because it's going to make for a much more enjoyable reading experience for your readers. And for someone like me, who had never heard of this author before, had never read any of their previous work, I, I don't think that I could, I mean, even if the story was moderately enjoyable, you know, I could have gone back and read some of the previous books so that I had more context. I wouldn't because I just don't think it would be a re uh, an enjoyable experience because of how messy and just poorly written it was. This read honestly like a first or second draft that was passed to quote beta readers who were probably just this author's friends and that's it. No one looked at this manuscript critically before it was published to this story's detriment. And that's really all I'm, I have to say. I could talk about the story elements, but there really wasn't much to latch onto. The one thing that stuck out to me about the story was that the romance side plot was really bad. Um, it had a real May-December feel to it, um, even though both participants are immortal elves. I couldn't get over the, the feeling that like the man was like this grumpy old dude, and the woman was this doe-eyed new you know, just kind of fresh-faced and young, and I couldn't figure out why. I mean, I could figure out that, like, uh, she she was the mentor. No, I'm sorry. She was the mentee, and he was the mentor, and so then you've got the power dynamics and everything, and it just was really, really bad. Could have done without it, especially since it added nothing to the plot other than to have two characters following around the main guy and kissing his ass rather than just one. And also to have a female on the page because there weren't any besides her. And to be frank, she really got shafted after like the first 20%. She just became kind of a background piece. So a lot of dudes a lot of navel gazing, a lot of just spending copious amount of words and pages and energy on thinking about how the main character was feeling, and I wasn't for it. It kind of sucked. So Order of Sharon, one and a half stars. Not a total one star, because like I said, it probably would have been better if I had the context of the first several books, but I didn't. And I was at no point ever warned that I should have read the first ones first. So one and a half stars. I will not ever be reading anything by this author again. And that's all from me this week. I am going to do my hardest to finish 11th cycle this week so I can review it for you next time. I'm not going to read you guys the synopsis again since I read it for you last week, but that's my plan. Do 11th cycle next week 
And then I have to find another indie book to finish out the month with since I did DNF uh, a book. Not sure what that'll be yet. I have to take a look at my TBR pile and my Kindle Unlimited and see what I have available. But next week for sure, 11th cycle, unless... No, no, no unless. As Yoda once said, do or do not, there is no try. So next week, 11th cycle, and I will see you all next week. Bye. Carrie Share is an aspiring fantasy writer, content creator, and the mind behind justanotherstrugglingwriter.com. You can find her online on Twitter at Carrie underscore Share, on Instagram at justanotherstrugglingwriter, and on Patreon, Ko-Fi, and Redbubble at Carrie Share. That's Carrie. K-E-R-R-Y, share, like sharing with a friend.